there was, there was a shocking revelation in Foxborough, Massachusetts. After the New England Patriots football team had defeated the Indianapolis Colts, it was discovered that 11 of the 12 footballs used by the Patriots offense were inflated to only 11 and a half pounds per square inch. As we all know, the proper inflation of a football is to be between 12 and a half and 13 and a half pounds per square inch, putting the Patriots footballs a full pound per square inch underinflated. The ensuing controversy became known as deflate gate. Because of the similarity in magnitude between this scandal and the one that caused the resignation of the President of the United States. When the coach of the New England Patriots finally emerged the day after this scandal to make a statement, there were no fewer than seven live television trucks at the Patriots practice facility. His announcement would interrupt broadcasts on CNN and Fox News. It would be broadcast live around the world. For two weeks now, physicists from around the country have been publishing articles examining the impact of underinflating footballs. No less than the USA Today called for the Patriots to be banned from the Super Bowl. They called for the coach to lose his job and for the owner to forfeit his team. People are really upset about this missing pound of air pressure. But to me, the most interesting moment in the past two weeks happened when the uncommonly good-looking quarterback in question, Tom Brady, he's, anyway, he's, he spoke, he spoke, and uh, during his live uh, television broadcast, uh, and mostly, as far as I could tell, uh, Brady lied and smiled and smiled and tried to change the subject. But at one point, he stumbled upon a truth that probably most of us needed to hear. And he said, you know, guys, it's not ISIS. ISIS is the group uh, currently terrorizing hundreds of thousands of people across Iraq and Syria. You know, the group that Fox News and CNN were covering before they cut to live coverage of a quarterback explaining the air pressure in his footballs. And of course, Tom Brady is right. This is not ISIS. How I wish this had been the most significant news story of the past two weeks. But there are many other 
tragedies far more deserving of our attention and our outrage. Deflategate is not ISIS. And maybe that is a good rule of thumb when interpreting our passage today. As some of you know, in verse 26, where our translation of the Bible says, uh, in your anger do not sin, uh, Paul, in the Greek, sort of a very wooden translation would be, it's actually two commands. It is, uh, be angry and do not sin. Paul calls Christians to be angry. But then, much to our confusion, only four verses later, Paul is listing things that are bad for Christians, things we need to get rid of. Annette was reading this list earlier. And unironically, Paul includes number three on the list, things to get rid of, anger. Get rid of anger, he says. So what's it going to be? Should we be angry? Or should we get rid of anger? And I suppose one way to answer the question is to apply what shall be henceforth known as the Tom Brady principle. Is this ISIS or not? What exactly are we getting angry about? Anger can be a really helpful emotion. Uh, It is one of our most powerful emotions. Anger will motivate you in a way that almost nothing else will. So there were a lot of really smart people who spent a lot of time in the last two weeks thinking about football air pressure. Anger can do that, okay? It gets people out of their seats. It gets people engaged. And frankly, there are a lot of issues in our world that could use a lot more people getting out of their seats. We could use some anger around here. The trouble is that most of the things that we get angry about, most of the things that get us out of our seats and engaged, are not even remotely worthy of our anger. I thought in the spirit of full disclosure, I I would brainstorm the three things that I can remember making me the most angry in the last couple months. So first, uh, our internet service kept going in and out. And I had to spend like 30 minutes on the phone with AT&T. It was really more like 10. But um, it made me really angry. Second, our garbage disposal stopped working. And third, a loud car stereo woke me up at 2 in the morning a couple of weeks ago. So that's it. Of all the things that have happened in the last month, those three are probably the things that made me most sustained angry. Keep in mind, a couple weeks ago, it was a Saturday night, and I learned uh, that night that the terror group, Boko Haram, uh, killed, I don't know if you saw this, it killed possibly 2,000 civilians in, uh, in an overnight attack in these villages in Nigeria. And, uh, you know, this attack made such an impression on me that I forgot to include it in the congregational prayer 12 hours later. 
So apparently Boko Haram didn't make me angry. Neither did getting reminded that Super Bowl weekend has the highest rates of child sex trafficking of any week of the year. More kids will be sold for sex in Arizona this week than anywhere else in North America all year. Did that make me angry? Truthfully, those things have barely registered in my emotions. I mean, I know they're bad. But that garbage disposal? Don't get me started on the garbage disposal. So I think there's obviously good reason to be careful about Paul's command to be angry. I suspect the majority of things that make us angry don't stand a chance to pass the Tom Brady principle. So normally the way that I approach the rest of the sermon is to get us to focus on ISIS-level issues. Uh, I want to go global with my anger. I want to talk about corrupt government in Honduras and uh, corporate welfare in Washington. I want to talk about violence against Christians in Nigeria and violence by Christians in the Central African Republic. There are a lot of things that are worthy of our anger. But before we call Congressman Amash, before we go global, I think we probably need to look at the context of our passage today. Because this book, Ephesians, it's a letter, right? It was a letter written to a church that in at least one way was very different from our own. So I heard recently that some representatives from the Christian Reform denomination that we're part of uh, had personal meetings with Congressman Amash and a number of U.S. senators. And, and these representatives from our denomination got FaceTime with some of the most powerful people in the world. Because those powerful people knew that when Christians speak in the United States, their government needs to listen. Now, they don't always do what you want, but, but Christian groups have significant influence in Washington. In fact, uh, our, our local state house member, uh, Winnie Brinks, is a member of a Christian Reformed church in Grand Rapids. So when we get excited about issues in Honduras or Nigeria, when our Christian anger burns against injustice in Washington or Lansing, we can call up our reps, and they, or probably their assistant, will listen to us. This was not the case in first century Ephesus. When this letter was written, Christian movement was barely 20 years old. Most people hadn't heard of it, and, and those who did thought it was weird. Uh, Christians were different. They were suspect. There's this whole different sense of morality. Uh, they didn't worship the emperor. They didn't even hang out at the temple of Artemis in town. Um, as far as we can tell, this, this Ephesian church had maybe like 50 people. Like on a good Sunday. A bunch of them were women. A bunch more were slaves. You can rest assured that the, the local senator was not a member of this congregation. They were nobodies. And, and if, you, if you weren't a nobody before you joined the church, you would surely be a nobody after you joined the church. Christianity was no shortcut to getting ahead 
in ancient Ephesus. Which meant that for them, the idea of meeting with their local senator and advocating for a global issue was really just completely unthinkable. So that when Paul urges them to be angry, he almost certainly was not following the Tom Brady principle. He couldn't have been talking about ISIS. His perspective must have been much smaller. Remember, Ephesians 4 is mostly just talking about two things. It's not a treatise on societies or economies. It's not about how to run a government. This was like a house church, really. And their biggest concern, at least from Ephesians 4, their biggest concern was just getting along. They seemed to fight a lot. And this kind of makes sense, right? Because they're, they're like really new at this Christian thing. Like they're just, figuring this, they're just figuring this out. And it's not going all that well all the time. Sounds like they had issues with honesty, right? We talked about that last week. Sounds like they had issues with stealing. We're going to talk about that next week. People were stealing. They're like, sorry, I didn't know. We weren't supposed to steal. Like, okay. Like, this was new to people. And, and Paul is saying, listen, you've changed. When you became a Christian, you gave up an old life. You gave it up. You're putting on a new one. So I think when anger comes up here, I think mostly what he's talking about are the times when that old life is rearing its ugly head in this little community. I don't think he's talking about getting angry about child trafficking in Arizona. Though I think Christians today ought to be angry about that. We should be at the leading edge of that. But the focus of Ephesians 4, it's much smaller. It's, it's, much, it's much more local. It's, it's really, it's about you. About you and me. Not about some big issue that's going to get any press. It's it's, it's about us. It's it's about what what remnant of this old life is hanging around too long in each of us. Like what what sin are you holding on to that you need some motivation to work on? And he says, whatever it is, get angry about it. Don't just chill and think, oh, you know, I, I think I'll get to that later. Get angry. And not just get angry, but he says, he says don't let the sun go down on your anger. And, and actually in Greek, it's a little bit different again. I'm sorry to do this again, but... So I used to think of this as, like, if you get angry about something... Like, don't let that emotion simmer overnight, you know, which I think is good advice. I mean, that's just, that's good wisdom. I think it's consistent biblical ethic. But the word for anger at the end of verse 26, it's different from the word for anger at the beginning of verse 26. At the end, it's not orgismos. 
It's a paraorgismos. It's got a par in the front of it. So it's not referring to the emotion itself. It's referring to the cause of the emotion. In other words, a more like wooden translation of verse 26 is, do not let the sun go down on the cause of your anger. Do not let the sun go down on the cause of your anger. And that made me think this is really like exactly the same idea as Jesus has in Mark chapter 9 when he says, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Or, if your hand causes you to sin, chop it off. Do not let the sun go down on the cause of your anger. In other words, if you've got a sin issue, get up out of your seat. Get engaged. Get angry. I think that's why he says don't let the devil get a foothold. Like, don't give sin a minute's space. Paul wants urgency. Now, does Jesus love sinners just as they are? You bet. Okay, this is not a salvation issue. Uh, If you can't shake that sin, God's not going to give up on you. Um, It's not a salvation issue. But, But we... We need space between it's not a salvation issue and it doesn't matter at all, okay? Um, Because this matters a lot. It matters enough that Jesus says, (laughs) cut off your hand, (laughs) pluck out your eye. Paul is a lot more diplomatic. He's like, well, you know, you don't necessarily have to cut off your hand. Just like, get angry. Oh, okay. Now, don't get me wrong about this, okay? I, I want us engaged in ISIS issues. I, I don't want you to hear me wrong. I think, I think that's every Christian's calling, especially with the privileges we enjoy here in the United States. It's a shame for us to keep our voices silent in the face of injustice. But, but this is what I worry about. So I can imagine, I can imagine how we could use like the scope of some global issue to kind of minimize by comparison like the sin that might be right in front of us, okay? So you can just imagine how somebody would do this, right? It's like, what does God care about the pornography on my computer? Or like the gossip in my conversations? Or the fact that I cut a corner just a little bit in my taxes? I mean, that stuff is nothing compared to Ebola in Sierra Leone. And it's sneaky, right? Because it's true. Like, yeah, we, we totally should be focused on Ebola in Sierra Leone. But this is a basic truth of the Christian faith. The gospel transformation God wants to see in this world And he does want it, and he will get it, and and it will be big. But it pretty much always starts with individuals in churches. Uh, It starts with really nobodies like you and me. 
just becoming a little bit more like Jesus. Just a little bit more like Jesus. And, and if we're going to be more like Jesus, we're going to need to get as angry about our sin as he does. He hates it. Get rid of it. It's messing everything up. So as we talk, as we talk and act about getting the world right, we need to be seriously talking about getting this church and each person here right. It's not that we need to be perfect. But we need to resist the temptation to think, oh, like my little sin issue, it's too small for us to worry about. Um, You know what Paul says about your little sin issue? He says, get angry about it. Get up out of your seat. Get engaged. It's not that we won't be leading the charge in like transforming our community. I suspect we still will be. But it means that we will be leading that charge already experiencing in our own souls this like radical and improbable transformation that we're hoping for in the world. With Jesus, this is possible. All right, let's pray together. Lord, help us to be angry for the right reasons in the right way. Uh, Lord, give us uh, a hatred, not for ourselves, but, but for sin that clings. Motivate us, Lord, to seek to grow in holiness, to, to set that stuff aside. We thank you for your grace that receives us every time we fail to do so. Every time. We thank you that, that you're not waiting to just leave us on the curb if, if we can't get this right. But Lord, I pray that, that somewhere between that and, and, and apathy, you'd, you'd give us the, the right amount of passion to seek to get rid of this old stuff so that we could be witnesses to the kind of transformation that you can do, that, that you can convert not just this world, but you can convert each of our hearts from this old self to this new self. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.